All right, so we're in Matthew chapter 6, 1 through 4 this morning. Now, we have just finished this uh, somewhat lengthy section where Jesus has gone through and, and he would say, uh, you've heard it said, and then he would go on to explain. So he heard it said, you shall not commit murder, and Jesus would go on and he'd say, don't be angry. You've heard it said, uh, don't commit adultery. Jesus would go on and tell us not to do something. And so just on and on again, over and over again, he said, you've heard it said, and so he described some external. So you've heard it said, don't engage in this behavior. But I say to you, and then he describes an internal quality of our heart. But instead, I say to you, be like this, display this, have this kind of be the way that the ebb and flow of your life is seen and perceived by everybody around you. And so he's done that six times, and then he makes it to Matthew 5, 48, and he leaves us all in a puddle of tears if we misunderstand this. He says, uh, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So he goes in and he describes to us that our life cannot merely be a set of externals of kind of doing this, but our life has to be this full and complete sphere of righteousness that we're engaged in displaying righteousness, but it all stems from this work of righteousness that Jesus has effected in our hearts. And so Jesus, in a very real, real way, is able to say, let everything you do, let everything you think, let your entire manner of existence in life be a display of God's righteousness. And so we hear this, and in our minds, we have these kind of six things he's walked through, and unfortunately, what this looks like for a lot of us is trying really, really hard. It's trying really hard, because now it's, it's not only on me to like, kind of be good out there, but I've got to be good in here, right? And so we try really hard. We are on display all the time, and, and, and what does that lead to in our lives? It leads to, to burnout. It leads to burnout, and so I find myself just exhausted. And so not only is it enough to kind of be good out there, but I've got to be good in here, and I recognize I fail a lot being good out there, and that stems from not being good in here. And so we, we fail a lot. And so what happens when we fail and we don't want other people to see us fail? We engage in a little thing known as hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. So we begin to kind of put on airs, and so I, I demonstrate kind of super abundant righteousness in small spurts because that's all I can manage, and I try and limit the amount of interaction I have with others. And so what that leads to is hypocrisy. And so what Jesus does is he moves immediately to display, and he gives us three illustrations for what it might look like to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And in each and in every one of these, he says, don't be a hypocrite. Okay? Don't be a hypocrite. And so look for that this morning as Jesus talks about how not to be a hypocrite in the midst of generosity. And in coming weeks, he's going to talk about how not to be a hypocrite when we pray and how not to be a hypocrite when we uh, display spiritual disciplines. And, and so he talks about fasting. So Jesus opens up this passage and he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. So he gives us this warning. Now, this is interesting because in chapter 5 and verse 16, Jesus actually told us to display our righteousness before other people. Look what he said in 5.16. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. So what Jesus calls us to in 5.16 is that the overflow of our lives is spent in doing good works. And so I'm out and I'm living righteously. I'm being kind to other people. I'm helping little old ladies across the street or in all the various ways that this manifests. I'm being good. And what I'm doing in that is displaying God's light. So that when people see me and they catch me in the midst of doing good, what they see 
is me doing good, and what they hear from me is God is doing something great and amazing. So any temptation that I have to kind of glom onto it and say, Matt is a really good guy, it just gets kind of pushed away. Because the whole intent, the trajectory of my life is never to point to self. It's never to point to self in 5.16. And then he warns us back here in chapter 6 in verse 1. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before their people. Why? In order to be seen by them. Man, isn't it that sweet elixir though? That in some sense, it feels so good when somebody tells us, uh, Jimmy, you're just a really good guy. You're just, you're just amazing, like the way you care for your wife, the way you care for your family, the way you move in community, the way you set up chairs, the way you do this, the way you do that. Man, it, it, it's just, you're, you're just a good man. And, and we like that. We like that somebody thinks anyway that we are good. And the temptation then is to do good so we receive more of this type of praise. And so Jesus gives us such incredibly careful direction. He says, beware. Now we can tell the intensity that Jesus applies to this is he's telling us <clears throat> over the course of our lives, we have to consistently be checking out where is my heart in the midst of pursuits and displays of righteousness? Where is my heart? Why am I doing this? Why I find myself in the middle of these pursuits? Look what Jesus goes on to say. He says, because in, in, in a sense, if you do them so that others will see them, you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. You have zero reward from God who is in heaven. Know this. If the primary reason you do good is so that other people will see you and praise you, or so that you can go home at the end of the day and say, I am so much better than everyone around me. So you can either self-congratulate or be congratulated by those around you. God has no part in that. He is not pleased with you. If your desire to pursue righteousness is either so other people can see you and praise you or so that you can praise yourself, God has no part in that. Paul, writing about it in the book of Galatians, said in Galatians 1.10, he asked this question. He says, am I still seeking to please men or am I <coughs> seeking to win the approval of men? And then he says, if this is what I'm doing, then I'm not a servant of Christ. Let that sink in for a second. Let that sink in for a second. If you're seeking to win the approval of the men or the people around you or to please them, and this is why you are engaged in righteous living and good living, then you are not a servant of Jesus. You're a servant of yourself. You're a servant of those people around you. And Jesus is moving really quickly to call you a hypocrite. There's only one way to pursue righteousness. And it's to pursue righteousness so that when people look at you, they praise and they glorify God. He says, we'll have no reward from our Father in heaven. Moving into verse 2, he says, then when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Why? That they may be praised by others. And so what we see is this scenario, and he goes in, and, and what, it's really important that we notice in this that he doesn't suppose that there's a hypothetical out there where we may give to the needy. 
Read with me. He says, when you give to the needy. So this is teaching us something. This says that God expects and that our hearts should be generous. If your generosity primarily spills over to you, you're being able to enjoy things and do things and have fun things uh, at your home and fun vacations, this is not generous. You bought into some lie and I don't know who sold it to you, Tony Robbins or somebody. But this is not why God has created you. This is not why he has given you energy, time, and money. He gives you those things so that you may be generous to somebody else. So in this passage, he calls them the needy. People that, man, they don't have two nickels to rub together. Their, their clothes have holes in them. People without money, people without a home, people without any food to eat. And he has placed you here to bless them, to serve them. It's a radically different way of thinking about our finances when we say, God has not given me my finances for my primary enjoyment, but he has given me my finances so that I might bless and serve others through them so that he may get greater glory. We serve no role in that. Nothing returns to us. Now, this has always kind of been the heart of God. Deuteronomy 15, 11, we find that God has kind of always even instructed back to the Israelites. He says, there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, <coughs> you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in the land. God's heart and the way that he serves the poor in our community and other communities is by blessing us financially. God has not blessed you financially so that you might solely benefit from it. God, if you are blessed financially, God has allowed you to serve as a steward over those finances so that you might turn around and impact those around you. Don't buy into the American lie that you need more stuff, that you need bigger and better stuff, and that God has given you money so that you can get those things. Buy into what the gospel says. God has blessed you so that you might turn around and bless other people. And I'm not talking about buying me a new car, although if that's what God lays on your heart, so be it. <laughs> I'm just saying. Somebody out there, you got a real heart for the pastor's ride. <laughs> we are incredibly blessed. If you look at the world financially, we are so much more wealthy than uh, the vast swath of the world, but that's a whole other sermon for another day. So he says, let's give to the needy. And so he describes this ridiculous scenario. Now Jesus uh, if you study this, he's not describing something that was true to fact. He's not describing something that actually happened, but he imagines this scenario. He says, look, you've got these people out there, and we're just going to call them the hypocrites. And they know the needy have some, uh, something that they have to have. They're needy, they have needs. And so you're going to meet that need, and so you hire a troubadour to come along beside you, and you're like, hey, can you strike some notes? Because I'm going to lay some serious money down on these guys. And so they're out there, and they're like, and they're playing the horn, and you're like, that's right, here I come, I'm going to help the needy out, I'm going to step right over here, that's right, up, up, come up, folks, hold on, they pull out their wallet, and they start dropping money in there, and this guy's like, are you done? He's like, no, I got more money, he's like, because I'm running out of wind, he's like, no, 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 we're going to go in the streets now, we're going to go in the streets, we've been in the synagogue, we're going to go in the streets, and you're going to play some more, and all these things are pointing to the fact that I am such a good and generous guy, and I'm such a good and generous guy that you need to look at me and say, oh, Matt is such a good and generous guy. Because when we do this, we are serving self and not God. 
So he turns in this. He says, don't be like them. They are hypocrites. And they do this so that they may be praised by others. But it's hard not to be a hypocrite today. It's so incredibly difficult. I got no less than than two or three solicitations for money this week. And in each one of these solicitations for money, they started off with this deal that if you give this amount, we will put your name at the top of this and you can be like a headline generous guy. No, I don't have headline generous money, so it's not a real temptation for me. (laughs) But in that, it's so difficult because we find these things that we want to use our money to bless people. But unfortunately, the way that we have to solicit donations in a church or the way that we have to solicit donations in a, in a school or in a pregnancy center, the way that we have to do this is directly tying it to some benefit that these people will have. So we say, if you give to this, this is what we'll give you in return. Now, that in itself is not wrong. And I'm not saying if you've given and your name is at the top of this that you're going to hell. It, like You may go to hell, but, but not because of that. <laughs> If you're pursued in this, listen to this. This is your heart. If you're pursued in this and giving money, it's so that people will look at you and say, man, he, she is an amazing person. Look at what they've gave. And so that people will see how much you've given and be impressed by you and your generosity. There is no reward for you. There is no reward for you. Outside being praised and receiving the adulation of man. So that when people see you and they say that, man, the Smith family, they are some generous people. They are some amazing people. And that's what you long for. Like you just sit and wait for somebody to tag you on Facebook or somebody to to catch you on the street or in Walmart and be like, if it wasn't for your family, this ministry would fail. If it wasn't for this family over here, this church wouldn't do this. If it wasn't for this person over here, this thing could not take place. Like people would die if it weren't for you. If that is why you give, you better enjoy that congratulations they give you because that's all that's coming to you. It's hollow. The moment those people have congratulated you, your moment in the sun is over. That tasty morsel the praise, the congratulations, this glad handing and slapping you on the back, you better enjoy it. Because what Jesus tells us here is you have received your reward. Now, I think there are probably three ways to be a hypocrite. There are many ways, but there are kind of three ways in general. One is this person who we know to kind of be evil and nefarious, right? They're just a bad guy. They're a bad woman, And so they go out and and they they give a lot to the poor to try and get a good name for themselves. It's kind of like the person who who kind of breaks the law and now they have community service and so they have somebody come out and take pictures of them in community service. We know they're not doing that because they're a good-hearted and gracious person. They've been instructed or commanded or directed to do that. And so that's, that's one way to be a hypocrite. And this person's just kind of evil and they go out and they try and do good to look good. The other hypocrite is this person who just, <clears throat> they are convinced that they are, are fooling people, but everybody looks at them and says, man, like, this is not who you are. Quit trying to be someone that you are not. Recognize your own inadequacies and, and work with those. 
Don't try and be super spiritual. Don't try and be this person who's just kind of over the top, gregarious and outgoing. If that's not who you are. I think the most dangerous hypocrite out there is the person that actually fools everybody around them and the person that fools themselves. You may be a hypocrite today. Your whole walk with Jesus may be nothing but hypocrisy. Nobody around you knows it. And the scary thing could be that in your heart, you aren't even aware of it. I tell you this. This is why Jesus calls us at the very beginning of this section, and he says, beware, be on guard. My heart and your heart is so incredibly powerful, and it's so incredibly capable of deceiving us into believing that we are good men and women, and everything we do is right and righteous, kind of covering my inadequacies. I can tell you, man, I need brothers in my life who will look at me and just say, Mike, you're not as good as you think you are. That's why God gave me a wife. <laughs> but I need people who can love me and be honest with me, and you do too. If you've isolated yourself, if you have put yourself in a place where you don't have men and women speaking into your life and telling you repeatedly, man, don't fool yourself in this. You're setting yourself up for failure. And if you're not constantly evaluating your heart and your motives in doing things, then you're not just setting yourself up for failure. You're being disobedient to Jesus who tells us all, everyone, beware, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Look at what he tells us in verse 3. He offers this incredible corrective to this, uh, to this position of hypocrisy. Again, he supposes that we give. He says, but when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Has anybody in here ever accomplished this? Right? Like, oh, I never learned my left from my right. I'm all walking around doing this number. And like, it's ridiculous. Now, one of the reasons Jesus points out and says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing is he wants to point to the incredible difficulty of doing this. It is not easy to be generous, and it is not easy to abstain from hypocrisy. So Jesus creates this scenario where we recognize it's incredibly profound and incredibly difficult. He says you need to do this so that your giving may be in secret. So there are a couple of things we can glean from this. It's not being reckless with our money. It's not just telling somebody, hey, look, I've got a checkbook over there. Like, I really just need you to write a number with some zeros, maybe just one zero, uh, just to get started. All right, so no zeros. All right, but like a number between one and nine, like you can write that number aggressively, and then I'm just going to sign it. Like, I'm not even going to check my bank account. And like, that's the way I want to be generous. Don't be stupid, right? And don't be reckless with your money. If you're not uh, being in charge and, and knowing where your money is going, then there is no way you can be generous. But what he drives to is this level of our heart where we're so captivated in pursuing Jesus that we're not checking out how we are doing and metricing all the various ways that we are blessing God financially. Like if you're this person that you solely give 
so that at the end of the year, the church gives you that giving statement and you turn it into the IRS, and that's the only reason you give, man, we enjoy spending your money, but we don't need it to that level. If you only give for the tax benefit, then that is the only benefit you receive. Do you see what I'm saying? Righteousness can never be attained by doing things. Righteousness can never be attained by giving more financially, by giving more of our time, by giving more of ourselves. And so he tells us in this, do not be preoccupied with the ways that you are giving, merely give. And your giving has to be in secret. It can't be conspicuous. This says a lot to us and about our hearts. If we will not give without the recognition of others, then we should not give. If we will not give without the recognition of others, then we should not give. A few moments ago, we sang, we said, Christ is my reward. And I can tell you this morning that if Jesus isn't enough for you, then you are not a Christian. Before the last election cycle, people kept coming up to me saying, man, I'm just really worried about the church. I'm worried it's going to lose its nonprofit status. And I'm really worried that if that happens, then people are just going to quit giving because they're not going to have any benefit to give to the church. I said, man, that is so alarming. Not because of what it could financially mean for the church, but what that would mean of the church's heart, its people's heart. If you only give because of what you will receive from men, stop. Finances aren't your biggest problem. Your eternity is. Jesus gets to the end of this. He's told us, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Instead, give it in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The rewards of our God are his character that he's developing in us. The rewards of our God are others coming to know him through our displays of righteousness and constantly pointing to him that we may be involved in the salvation of those that he's seeking to save. The reward of God is eternity spent with him. And the Father who sees in secret, I mean, he's looking in your heart And he knows your selfish tendencies. And he knows how much you delight in being praised and being recognized. And he is seeking to put those things to death. And he's seeking to grow larger in your life. But if you, whoever you are, have to be the most important character and person in your life, you'll never receive his reward. A study was conducted uh, in the 60s by uh, a guy named Walter Mitchell at Stanford University. Initially, they set out, and what they wanted to do was just to figure out ways that kids distract themselves when they're waiting on something. And he said uh, what he found was that kids are amazing at distracting themselves, and some of us are, are hearing it this morning. He said, you know, they'd see kids play the pianos on their toes or flop their ears around or, you know, pick boogers, he said. And so, I don't know, sometimes you're hungry. And so they just, come on now, come on now. 
And so he said, that's, that's initially what they set out to do. And so you've probably heard it referred to as the marshmallow test. And so what they would do is they would send someone in to play with the kids and build rapport with them. And then they would walk to the kids and they would set uh, one marshmallow before them and they would set two just a little further away. And they would say, look, here's the deal. You can eat that one marshmallow right now, but if you wait just a little while, you can have two marshmallows. Marshmallows, very attractive for four-year-olds. Some of you are like, blah. So he said they'd go out of the room and, and they'd wait for the kid. And so the kid's looking at the one and then he sees the two, right? He's looking at the one, but he sees the two. So he has this constant reminder that something better is waiting for him. Or he can be satisfied right now. And so they learned a lot about delayed gratification. And they learned a lot about whether or not the kids trust the person that has told them to wait. Christian, whether or not you're willing to wait for your reward from God says a lot about whether or not you trust him. When we would rather seek the congratulation and the praise of man, it means we look at God's reward and we say, it is wanting. It is not enough for me. And when we look at the reward of man and we would rather have that instead of the reward of God, which is waiting for us, it means we look at God himself. And we say, I'd rather have the thing I can see now than trust you for my future. Is Jesus enough for us? Is Jesus enough for us? Let me pray for us. God, I am thankful that you are, that you have given us our reward in the person of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful you're not fooled by my displays of temporary righteousness. The best I can muster, the best I can do. You see in secret, you reward those things that you see in secret. God, I pray for the heart this morning that is conflicted. They want the immediate, they want the right now. And their life is a testimony to that. Would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, give them a sense of the eternal and the weight of your glory? We studied in the Beatitudes that we need to be those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We confess this morning many of us don't. We hunger and thirst for our own praise, our own ease, our own comfort. So God, would you change our hearts? God, would you help us recognize that Jesus Christ forsook all, that he gladly endured the cross. He suffered, then he died, and he entered into the grave, and he rose again. And he sits forevermore at your right hand. And this Jesus who endured these things sets before us a choice of reward, eternal, or reward temporary. So, God, that your spirit would move in our heart to convict us of righteousness, that we would desire the true and better reward, 
hope eternal. So God, we entrust this time to you and ask for your spirit's movement in our hearts. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.